the traditions are in the back of the book, by the way. I didn't, didn't know that. I'm Jerry Weaver. I'm an alcoholic. Good to be here this morning. It's good to be sober. Good to be in my right mind. Good to be amongst friends. Um, my sobriety date is July the 2nd, 1989. I'm a member of a group called There Is a Solution. We meet in Holly Springs on Tuesday and Thursday at 7 p.m. at the Methodist Church. Good group of Alcoholics Anonymous. We're uh, what kind of popular nowadays is to say we're a three legacy group. Um, but we're, uh, we try to take advantage of everything that Alcoholics Anonymous has to offer. So we, uh, we talk about steps and traditions and topics that are uh, important to alcoholics, and we try to stay involved in the, the local service structure, area service structure, and, and GSO and uh, with the local intergroup. Got some home group members that came down with me, got some friends that came down with me, so I uh, appreciate that. Steve, I appreciate you asking me or the group or whoever. Um, I've, I've said this often, I'll say it again, if you're here this morning, you probably either somebody told you to be here or you just ain't got nothing better to do on a Saturday or on a Sunday morning and your, your, your life is boring, and, uh, or you maybe want to try to uh, learn a little bit or go a little, little, uh, a little deeper with, uh, with just understanding of the principles. Um, I'm a guy that... Uh, could not stay sober prior to Alcoholics Anonymous. I tried a lot of ways to get sober and to get my life in order through uh, psychiatry, church, family trying to hang out with me and protect me. I tried reading books and exercising and eating fruit. <laughs> we got fruit here this morning. I don't, I don't know if that keep anybody sober, but I was uh, I was just in a delusion and. Uh, and really didn't know what was wrong with me until I was sitting in a detox one morning and the guy from Alcoholics Anonymous came and talked to me and basically just kind of told his story and an identification happened. And prior to that that moment, I was a guy that had you know, thought I was unique. I was isolated from the world, thought I was different. You know, nobody had done the things I'd done. Nobody had felt the way I felt. Nobody had beaten up both of their both of his parents and committed suicide three times, and you know, on and on and on and on. And um, when that guy basically told his story, all that changed. Um, and it wasn't an immediate change, but I just knew that there was something about that guy that was different than me, and there was something about him that he knew kind of what I'd been through. And in alcoholics Anonymous, we call that identification. And the book kind of imp does imply and say that if there's no identification, there's no recovery, that the identification has to, has to happen. And that that's, for me, that's what broke that isolation. And one of the things that guy said to me was that he hoped that when I got better that I would pass this along. I know now he stole that from Bill Wilson, um, <laughs> but that's what he said. He, just, he said he hoped that when I got better that I would try to help other people like he was helping me that morning. And... So I got better, and that's basically what I've been 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 trying to do is is trying to help other people. Um, but I was a guy that when I it, it it's it's kind of funny the 
I remember the very first tradition meeting I went to. I wasn't sober very long. And when I got to the meeting and found out that it was a tradition meeting, I left. Because I just didn't think that traditions had anything to do with me. And I had heard these kind of people whispering that, that traditions and stuff like that was politics and it was business and that it really didn't apply to individuals. So I left that meeting and done that that night before it started and I think I went to a, a meeting in Benson so I could talk about my problems and why my wife wasn't coming back because um, you know I had a need to be heard and uh, to be understood and stuff like that and, and I know now that 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 was obviously a, a was false and it wasn't a it was bad information that that traditions are just as good for the individuals they are for the group Matter of fact, if you read the long form of the traditions, they actually talk specific. A lot of them talk specifically to individuals, not to the group. It tells us kind of how to uh, how to act and how to get along with with one another in in the group and in the fellowship. I will say this: I'm not an expert on traditions. I'm not an expert on history. Uh, don't claim to be. I'm just sharing. I'm just going to share my experience, which is what we do in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, but I'm a. I, I, I do believe that traditions are. It doesn't. It doesn't initially appear this way, but the traditions are more important to a newcomer than the steps are, initially, in that the traditions basically ensure that when a new person gets here, that it doesn't matter who they are or what they are. That there's going to be help provided to them. The traditions ensure that when they get here that nobody's going to ask them to fill out an application or an assessment or ask them for money. The, the traditions basically put in place safeguards, if, if groups are following them, that when, a, when somebody shows up wanting help, that there's going to be help here. And it, that's, that's initially what gets somebody started. It's not pounding them in the head with steps in the book. It's those, it's those, those traditions that are in place in the group that basically allow that person to come in and get help um, so I've always I've always kind of kind of thought that they were they were more important than the steps initially um, in you nowadays we talk a lot about the three legacies I guess they've always talked about that but you'll hear people talk about there's 36 principles in Alcoholics Anonymous right talking about steps traditions and concepts I mean I guess that's true um, um, but what my experience has been is that that, uh, and we talk a lot about emotional, what's the word? Emotional sobriety, <laughs> right? Um, I don't know anything about that. I, I I like the word emotional maturity. It's funny that Bill Wilson wrote an article on emotional sobriety, and before he wrote that, there was some stuff that people in Cleveland wrote, which if you kind of look at the history, the Cleveland folks were always kind of in conflict with Bill, or they were always kind of battled each other. The Cleveland folks wrote, wrote something on emotional maturity, which is a little better for me, um, before Bill wrote the thing on emotional sobriety. Um, but it really talks about the principles of the traditions and how to be responsible, how to be mature, how to act grown up, how to not suck your thumb when you don't get your way, which I love doing. 
And, uh, you know, how not, you know, you don't run when things don't go your way. You learn to respect different opinions, and it's a pretty good pamphlet. It's not A approved, but it's, it's out there. Um, and then the 12-step talks about principles before personalities. And for me, the way, I mean, the, the, one of the best kind of uh, guidelines for emotional maturity or emotional sobriety and one of the best guidelines for how to practice principles all my affairs is the, is the traditions. Is is using my imagination and keeping an open mind and 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 breaking those excuse me breaking those traditions down to hey how can this apply for me how can I apply this at home and at work not just in the AA group but how can I take these and go everywhere and the the first nine steps of our program for me I mean they they basically healed me. Those first nine steps helped me to come into a relationship with God. And those first nine steps helped me come into a relationship with other people. When I looked at my character flaws and I, I, and I wrote that stuff down and shared it with somebody and then went back and started making amends to people, it got me right with people and it got me right with the world. And so the question is, if I've gotten right with God and with other people and with myself, then how do I grow that? How do I expand that? Well, we do that through steps 10, 11, and 12. Um, as well as for me in, by taking those traditions taking those the 12 traditions are all about unity and all about you know getting along and being effective and if I've come to a place where I've gotten a relationship with God then how do I grow that if I've gotten to a place where I have a relationship with other people then how do I grow that how do I stay unified with others and I, I would submit for me that the way that I do that is is through trying to practice those traditions now, they're looking for church or AA, you think? The, uh, I'm surprised the church lets y'all meet here while they're having service. That's, that's pretty powerful. Unity. They don't know. That, they don't know? That's even better. That, that's typical. That defiant, rebellious. Unity is not always when we when when sometimes in AA when we talk about unity or we talk about how we're all we, it, it seems like everything is great and wonderful and we all we're all feeling good. Um, well, you know, practicing unity or being unified does not always mean love and peace and everybody's getting along and everything's perfect. Um, sometimes it's it's compromise and. Uh, kind of getting along to get along and letting people have, letting other people have their way. Um, it, it, sometimes it means up, means doing, doing what's best for somebody else that may not be what I think is best for me. It has very little to do with who's right and who's wrong. Um, and it's some, it had, doesn't have a whole lot to do with comfort and feeling good. We've, uh, the, man, the, the alcoholic's desire to be comfortable and feel good, I mean, <laughs> basically, it was running whole society in the ground. I mean, we think we got to feel good and we got to be comfortable all the time. And um, all the things we do to, to, to make that happen basically are contrary to what we're taught to do is to have a relationship with God. And I'll chase everything else but forming that relationship with God. And that's what the, the steps tell us, that the purpose of them are for us to have a relationship with God, for us to have a conscious contact with God. It's not chasing other things. And 
the way that I, I do that, obviously, is through the steps and through trying to grow. And um, So if I'm going to try to practice traditions, in the literature it tells us that it's all about self-sacrifice, laying aside personal desires and personal ambitions for what's best for the group, what's best for folks that I'm involved with. And um, so for me, what I got to ask myself the question is, do I really, do I really want to use love and tolerance as my code? Or do I just want to read it in a book and say it's good for them but not quite good for me? Do I really want to be a peacemaker? Or do I want to be divisive and, 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 and abusive and uh, antagonistic? Um, do I really want to give up my pride and my selfishness? Or are those just, just things that are good you know, for every once in a while? Or do I really want to practice that as a way of life? Do I really want to live a life of inclusion? Uh, do I really want to you know, welcome all and try to help all? Or do I pick people apart and look for the differences and then I let those differences basically block me off from them? Do I really want to bring God into all of my activities? talks about that in the big book, that we should bring God into all of our activities. So i got to ask myself, do I really want to do that? Or do I want to pick and choose? I like, I, I like picking and choosing sometimes. Do I really want to live in the truth and the light? Or you know, just part of the time live in the truth? Um, so those are questions that I've got to ask myself. And do I really want to practice principles in all my affairs? Or is that just something I want to talk about on Tuesday nights at the home group so I can sound good? Um, the book talks about patience, understanding, kindliness, and love. Are those principles that I really want to practice in my life? Or are those things that are just, again, you know, good to talk about? The, uh, the, the first tradition also talks about that we're a small part of a great whole. Before I got sober, I was always less than or greater than. It just depended on the circumstances in my life. Typically, I, I would lean towards always being less than, never measuring up, never being good enough, always concerned about what people were thinking about me, knew that people were thinking bad about me, and that's kind of where I lived. And then... I'd get enough of that pent up to where it would get into anger and rage, and then it would go to the other end. I'm going to show people who the hell I am, right? And then it would just kind of come out. And, and so I just kind of teetered between better than and less than. Never was just a part. Never was just right in the middle and just a, you know, a part of a big hole. I always compared and always kind of kept score. And the first tradition teaches me to stop doing that to just take my place. I don't know that I can do that until I've taken those first nine steps. That's part of that process, but what the first tradition tells me in my personal life is that, you know, so when I'm at home, I'm just one person. I'm not the governor, although I like to think I'm the governor sometimes, <laughs> and, that I, and, I, and I think I'm the king, um, that I'm just a, a small part there. But I am a part. So it's important for me 
to think about where I'm at. So, and I'm part of a lot of different groups. I mean, I'm part of an AA group, but I'm part of a group at home and my family. I'm part of a group when I go to work, right? I work with people, so I'm part of that group. I'm part of a group in a community. Right? I am part of the community. Whether I want to acknowledge that or not, I am. And so the question is, on the kind of that first tradition is, do I want to do what's best for the community? Do I want to do what's best for the most people? Am I, am, am I willing to just to keep an open mind and to kind of think through what's best for the community? Or do I just lean towards what my trouble is, selfishness and self-centeredness? If, if all I do is think about myself and what's best for me, there's really no room for anybody else because I'm going to expect people to do what I want them to do. Um, so that first, the first tradition kind of sets the stage for, you know, how, how am I going to live? I, we, we probably would do that through the next 11 traditions, but I got to have, I got to start off with kind of an attitude of, of, um, of thinking about other people. The big book tells us that we should place the welfare of others ahead of our own. Now that, that sounds good. Um, best I can tell, it's hard for us to practice it. I mean, me included. But it's a good principle to live towards. That doesn't mean neglect myself. That doesn't mean don't take care of yourself. Right? I mean, we got to take. I mean, the best thing we can do for others in some cases is to take, do what's best for us, take care of ourselves just to make sure that we're spiritually fit and that we're healthy so that we can help other people. Um, the the second tradition I'm going to come back to the first tradition here in a little while the second tradition talks about a loving God and um, that's what the steps brought me into it brought me into a relationship with a God that was kind and loving keep in mind the book tells us that the term God in AA is just a term that people use their own conception so um I would encourage you to do that when I use the word. Um, but it talks about a loving God that expresses himself through the group conscience. So personally for me, i got to ask myself, the first question I'd ask myself, do I let a loving God direct my thoughts and my actions? Right, so am I bringing God into all my activities? The second step of tradition also talks about the group conscience, meaning that the group conscience should guide... So the group conscious guides the, the great A group. I should allow the group conscious to guide my, my, what I do outside. So meaning if I'm at home and uh, I want to make some kind of decision on something, I probably should talk to my wife about it before I do it. Right? If I'm at work and I want to make some big decision, I should probably seek the counsel of people that are at work instead of just going off half-cocked. This also... For me, that has taught me how to listen. So, and if 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 I'll use my the home the home group, so or a true group conscience in Alcoholics Anonymous means that we've gotten a lot of input from people. A group conscience means that we've heard we've heard from from all sides. You all right over there? Okay. That's my mating call. Is that what it is? Is it coming? Okay. He, he might have heard it. Um, yeah, so it teaches me to listen to people. 
Because if I don't listen, I can't hear God inside of you. If I don't listen, then I can't learn new things. If I go into everything and think that I'm the king and I know it all and that my way is the, is the best way, then that, that doesn't open the door for, for anything. So if I'm going to truly kind of hear what's best for a group, I've got to listen. If I go in with an agenda and I, and I just hold to that agenda, then, then I'm not listening to anybody. And, and I'll even do that. I'll, I'll give you an, an example of this here one time. I, uh, I'd, I'd gone to the grocery store, long story short. Anyway, I bought some potato chips. I bought a bunch of stuff at the grocery store, but my wife opened up this bag of potato chips, and she ate a couple of those potato chips, and she says, these potato chips are stale. That's all she said. Now, what I heard was, you dumb son of a gun, how could you go to the grocery store and buy potato chips in a bag that's not opened, and they're stale? And I immediately got defensive, like, well, you go buy the potato chips the next time. <laughs> I mean, all she said was, potato chips are stale. She didn't say, Jerry, why would you buy these potato chips? I mean, they're, they're crappy. So, I mean, that's my, I got these filters that hear things different. And this, this tradition has taught me to kind of listen Seek to understand before replying. The 11th step instructions tell us to pause, right? I would submit to you that the, the word pause is one of the most important words in the book once you've been sober for a little while. Because it teaches us to stop before we react, to bring God or a principle into it before we, we make these, these uh, knee-jerk reactions. So I've got to learn to listen to people, right? And a lot of times I'll somebody will come and talk to me and then... While they're talking, I'm immediately filtering what they're saying through my experience. And I want to relate it to me. And I'm formulating a response before they even get done talking. And then when they get done talking, I just start telling them, you know, what they need to do based on my experience. And that sounds like a good idea, but in some cases it's not. That what this tradition has taught me to do is that I should listen without responding. That I should try to understand all the information and that I should keep my mouth shut while they're talking and listen for the truth, listen for God, listen for where they're coming from. There's that, 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 uh, Saint, that prayer in the 12 and 12, that St. Francis prayer, it says, seek first to understand then to be understood. That's the second tradition. It tells me to try to understand people's opinions and people's ideas and to, to really kind of evaluate all that before I make any decisions. It also tells me that I sometimes I should, I, should say, I should be okay with just a consensus. I should be okay to, to, to sell for something that I can live with, even if it's not exactly the way that I wanted it to. And it also has taught me to trust the process of things and trust people's decisions. That if a group makes a decision to do something, that I should, I should even if it wasn't what I wanted, because that's what the group decided, I should go with it whether I like it or not. Now, that's hard for some of us to do, but that's what the, that's what the tradition tells me to do, and that I should let you know, a loving God direct my, 
I, I had an experience with this. Well, I've had a lot of experiences with it in business, but I think some of y'all have heard this story, but uh, it was a long time ago when the cell phone business was just kind of, was had just started growing, and we started opening up. I worked for a cell phone company back then, and we started opening up retail stores. And I had, they had, they I'd been given this position to open up these retail stores in Raleigh, and there were a lot of people that were aggravated about it. They thought that they should have been, had gotten the position. But anyway, we opened up this one store, and we were trying to cover a bunch of hours with limited people. And so I was in charge of the schedule, being the manager of the store. And so I'd put these schedules together just by myself and then post it. People would see it, and they'd get aggravated because they didn't want to work this time or work that time. And it hit me one day. Now, I know this probably was not new information to people that had been in the retail business, but it hit me one day that maybe I ought to get the input of all the people that actually have to work. <laughs> right? And so I had a meeting, and I brought everybody in. I was like, I know these schedules are aggravating for all of us. I said, let's have a discussion. And I basically said, you guys figure out the schedule. And you know what? Instead of everybody going, oh, they were excited. And they actually, all six or seven of them, figured out a schedule that worked for all of them. Never had a problem. Right? They would look at the hours. They'd figure it out. And so that's, that's where the council of many is better than just the council of one. That bringing people together and trying to have power with people instead of power over people is, is way better than just one guy trying to, to dictate stuff. Um, <coughs> So, and it's okay to, you know, it's okay to disagree with people and to still be friends. That's another concept that's like disappeared in, in around here for some reason, but you can actually, you know, have different views and different opinions of people and still get along with one another and still try to be helpful. The uh, uh, third tradition talks about that AA membership ought to include all who suffer from alcoholism. That it shouldn't depend upon money or conformity. So Alcoholics Anonymous is very inclusive. We're, well, you know, actually we're very exclusive because you have to have a drinking problem, so we, I mean, right, to, to be a member. So, so we're exclusive in that we only help drunks. But we're inclusive in that we'll help any drunk. So Alcoholics Anonymous, in a sense, is, is, is non-prejudicial. That's a word. Right? There's no prejudice in the, the tradition. It doesn't matter how old you are or how, young, or how young you are, what your color is, what your religious background is, what your, your socioeconomic status is. That Alcox Namas will help you no matter who you are. That we, we welcome anybody that has a problem with alcohol that wants help. Well, nowadays, some places they'll help you no matter who you are, but um, we, we, we would prefer for you to be a drunk. Or have had a problem with alcohol. We also don't demand, well, the tradition doesn't. There are some groups that do. But the tradition doesn't demand that you believe anything or that you conform to anything. That membership in AA is not dependent on conformity or money. So you can keep your piercings. You can keep your tattoos. You can keep your facial hair. You can wear what you want to wear. Now, we might suggest you not wear certain things um, but basically you don't have to conform to anything to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous 
So, for me personally, what that means is that that as an AA member, I should try to help anybody that wants help. That I shouldn't, I shouldn't try to pick and choose who I help. I shouldn't try to help people that just look a certain way or have lived a certain way. One of my first real experiences with this was, was, um, and I, I grew up in a, a family was was somewhat prejudiced towards certain peoples, and uh, but I was sober. Um, I guess at that time I was probably sober less than a couple of years, and I was taking a meeting into a prison, and a guy asked me to sponsor him who was, he was African American and full blown Muslim. And I mean, in my before I got sober, I mean, I would never even thought about talking to that guy, uh, but the guy asked me to help him, and the tradition taught me that yeah, I'm going to help you, and so I didn't. Me and him became great friends. Um, matter of fact, I, I would that prison let me go in and meet with him outside the meeting, which at that time was pretty unusual there. And uh, one time, me and I had got him to the third step, and when I they'd actually meet, let me meet with him in an office. And there was a glass in the door, and a guard was watching us. And we got down on our knees to do the third step prayer, and the guard saw it, and he busted in. He said, "What are you guys doing in here?" I don't know what he thought we were doing. I don't know if he thought we were making out or if, if, if we were trying to dig a hole or whatever. Uh, but I can remember I looked up. I said, "We're praying." And he's like, "Oh, okay," and he he left. Um, but but my you know if I had been practicing the old way of life, I would have never helped that guy. Uh, personally, it also has taught me in, in my in my personal life to to try to try to welcome. All and to not to not have a, a prejudicial view towards towards certain people and to be welcoming and to be kind towards all, um, even in my family, to try to uh, to to welcome alternative uh, styles of life um, because I want to be helpful. And if 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 I'm if I'm talking bad about certain people or I'm judging people or I'm you know, shutting people off from the family or from my life because of certain things, then I, I can't be helpful to anybody. I can't be helpful at all. I, um, when I was uh, another another business story, I at one time I was I was managing well all of North Carolina, but we were trying to grow stuff out in Eastern North Carolina, and I was trying to hire a sales manager to manage that territory. And I was, I was brought up and kind of taught to always hire the best person for the job. But it didn't matter uh, what their gender was or what their, their race was. I always interview people kind of fairly and impartially and hire the best person. Well, in the early 90s, the best person for this job was this African-American woman. And, man, I, when, when it was found out that that's who I was trying to hire, there were a lot of people in that organization that said, are you sure this is the, the best person for that job? And are you sure you want to do that? What's the tobacco farmer in the John Deere tractor going to think when, a, when, a, you know, when she shows up? And I was like, this tradition taught me to, 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 to stick to my values and to stick to what I, what I thought was right. And um, I, we ended up hiring her, and she did an excellent job. She went on to actually be a vice president. Um, this tradition 
really, when I started practicing that in my business life, this tradition taught me to do that, right? To, to, be, to, to try to be exclusive and to do what's best. It's helped me to challenge old ideas. And, um, you know, in my family, we've got nieces and nephews that have, like, gone way off. The, people, well, they've made different decisions on kind of who they marry and who they date. And, uh, you know, there's lots of folks in the family that don't like some of that stuff. This tradition has taught me to not, not get involved in those conversations. It's taught me to support the decisions that people make, um, whether I like it or not. The good thing about that is this tradition has got me to the point where I'm neutral on it. I, that's, that's fine. I mean, if, you know, I really don't have an opinion. If that's what you want to do and that's, you think that's what's best for you, I'm going to support you. That's the third tradition. Um, the fourth one talks about, this is a good tradition. I mean, it, it, it's kind of turned into one of my favorites because what, what it says is that, as it relates to AA, is that Alcoholics Anonymous lets a group do basically whatever it wants to do. It says, we're going to give you complete autonomy and flexibility to conduct your business however you want to. We just ask that you don't do anything that's going to damage another group or damage us. So basically, there's a lot of flexibility and freedom, but there's an awesome responsibility, too. Right? So it's basically saying, hey, group, you can try whatever you want to try. You can do whatever you want to do. They're giving, we're going to give you the freedom and the flexibility to grow and figure out what you need to figure out. So if I, if I apply that personally, that just that one concept is that See, I'm a guy that thinks I know what's best for everybody. It's gotten even worse now that I've gotten a little age on me and I've been in the program for, for a while that I really think I know what's best, especially if you just do what I tell you to do, you're going to get this result, right? <laughs> um, this, so that concept's got to go. And what, that, and what that means is that I should give other people the freedom to have their own experience that I shouldn't try to stop people from having an experience. I don't need to save people from making mistakes. Let people make their own mistakes. Let people learn and grow on their own. I don't have to do that. There's a lot of freedom in that. And, that, and that's how people learn. Um, and that's just kind of having love and respect for other people. Um, it also talks about we can do what we want to do unless our decisions are going to impact others. So from a personal standpoint, this kind of ties into one and two, that I should be conscious of other people that are involved in my life and that I shouldn't make decisions that are going to impact them without talking to them first. Right? So if, if me and Susie and Julie were going to make it, we drove up here together, if we made a decision that we were going to leave here today and just drive down to South Beach for a couple of weeks and party and have a good time, I probably should call my wife and ask her about it first. <laughs> right? That's a funny example. Uh, but if, if, uh, 
if I'm going to make a decision to buy a Corvette today, I probably should, you know, talk to some people about that before I, before I do that. Um, in, you know, back to the work workplace. There was a time where I um, I managed a region, and the company had three regions, and you know they were big on trying to keep things consistent and the same throughout the country. Uh, but we had a little of a, a kind of a ability to make some of our own decisions, and so whenever I was going to make a big decision on some kind of a promotion or some kind of sales campaign, I could have probably done that without asking anybody. But because of this tradition, I always would run that stuff by the other two guys to see if they wanted to participate or if they had any ideas. It's just called it's just that's just common courtesy and having respect for other people. Um, just because I can do it doesn't mean I should, right? That, that I should think about how my decision impacts other people. Um, I shouldn't do anything that's going to harm anybody. Um, so it's uh, this one here gets you out of a lot of trouble. Keep you out of, uh, keep you from having conflict with people. Um, Number five, it talks about primary purpose, that each group is a spiritual entity and that each group has but one purpose, that's to carry the message. So again, Alcoholics Anonymous is very specific in what it does. It just helps alcoholics. Right? That's our primary purpose, is to help another alcoholic. And we try to avoid anything that interferes with that. Not sure we completely do it nowadays, but but in general, anything that diverts us from helping an alcoholic, we, we, we shouldn't do it. We don't get involved in it. So back in the, I don't know if it's a, if, if it's a thing anymore, but it, it used to be a big deal for, for like businesses and uh, even people to have like mission statements, right? You know, Company would it was big to have a mission statement, and or you know, then they turned it into a vision statement. Then they had companies that had vision statements and mission statements, and they were trying to show you the difference between the two. Um, and that was kind of the rallying cry of the, of, of the company, and everybody was supposed to be like kind of guided towards that. Um, AA did that long before the self help gurus did it. The um, uh, but I can take those concepts, that concept of what's my primary purpose, and implement that in different things that I'm involved with. So, I mean, I personally have a primary purpose. That's to try to be of service to God and other people. And somewhat specific to alcoholics, but I should be of service to any child of God, not, not just the alcoholic. Um, but I can take that ideal to to my work. So what this has helped me to do is that whatever I'm doing at that moment, I should be 100% focused on that and not let other stuff divert. So if I'm at work, I should do the job that they're paying me to do. Right? I should be focused on that purpose. I should not be in the break room gossiping with people about whatever it is, 
I shouldn't be in the break room creating false stories about people and gossiping about people, getting involved in all of that. Um, I probably shouldn't be surfing the internet, looking for stuff when I should be doing my job. Um, I shouldn't be constantly on my phone all the time when I'm should you know when the, when there's work to be done. That I should try to stay focused on on what what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, it's also taught me to to kind of pick a few things and be good at it. And nowadays, I mean, I'm, I'm, well, I used to be a guy that I would just jump at everything. Man, let's do this. No, let's do this. This looks better. Let's jump over here and do this. Let me do this. And uh, the next you know, shiny thing, or this is going to be better than that. <laughs> this tells me to just try to do one thing. Just try to, and do it well. Right? So if I'm with my family, I should try to be with my family. I'm a guy that, some of y'all know this because when you send me texts or call me and I don't respond, this is why. When I'm with somebody, I'm with them. I don't let that phone interrupt that. Sometimes I will. There's, there's exceptions. But in general, because what happens is if I'm, if I'm with you and then the phone rings and, oh, hold on a minute, let me get this. Basically, what I said is you're not important. Now, there's exceptions. If me and Larry are just goofing off, hanging out, we might do that. But especially with family and with people that don't get my time as much as others. Right? So, you know, I did it yesterday. I had some uninterrupted time with my wife. <coughs> the phone was in another room on the charger. And I didn't mess with it. That's, that's to me, that's part of this tradition. It's, it's sticking to whatever that purpose is at that time, right? There are times during the day, during the week, where I'm, I got work I got to do, and I'll, I'll put the phone away. Because I'm a guy that I'll jump now. If somebody's went off a minute ago, I wanted to run back there and check it. I was like, right? and yeah, it may not be a big deal, but that's ineffective. And that kind of keeps me spun up. Um, so it's important for me to, to try to, to, to do one thing at a time, I guess is the way to put that. Um, six talks about problems of money, property, and authority. Divert us from our primary spiritual aim. One of the best traditions. This is, uh, this is why people relapse right here. Because we let property, so property could be, uh, you know, the, the, the quest for material things. It could be in a person. She's my property. I may not say that, but that's what I'm thinking of. I, I own this person. I let, I let that relationship become more important. You, you got some more coffee? Yeah, free too. Is it free? Thanks. Bunny, right? The job, the 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 the, the constant quest for money. Got to have more uh, authority. Thinking that I've arrived somewhere, or that I'm you know I'm in charge of something, or that I know better. Um, there's nothing wrong with having a lot of money. There's nothing wrong with being busy in life. There's nothing wrong with with being successful. 
the way I've always looked at that, and this is just my experience, I didn't have any of that before I got sober. So, so anything I have today, if it's financial success or or success in a relationship or 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 you know being helpful in the community, being successfully materially, all that came about because of Alcoholics Anonymous and the God that I found in Alcoholics Anonymous. So the idea that I'm going to put this in a position of more importance than my spiritual health is that's a recipe for disaster for me because what I'd had what happens is the job becomes more important than helping somebody or the job becomes more important than going to my home group the going out for dinner on the birthday becomes more important than actually going and helping the newcomer or or I, I could have gone on the birthday the day before or the day after I, and I've never understood that personally but that's a I, I understand why people would want to do that um, there's a lot of other days in the week, though. The um, my, my point is, is that I let that stuff become more important, and then I start forgetting to pray and to help help people. I start forgetting to go to the group. I start forgetting to to read and to meditate, and then I get sick. And the next thing you know, the nonsense comes back in my head. I'm disconnected from God, and the idea of drinking probably will become. Uh, okay and so that's why it's important for me to to not let that stuff become more important All I look at all of it as it's a gift I mean all that stuff is, is a gift and a blessing as a result of living a certain way of life and so I, I got to continue to live that certain way of life regardless of that stuff that stuff's going to come and go it's going to grow and shrink, or it might keep growing for some of us. Um, but I can't, I can't let that uh, <coughs> dominate me or determine my my well-being. I can't be dependent on it. Um, so for me, I, the most important thing I can do, the busier I get, or the more successful I get, the most important thing I can do for that is to pray and help somebody. <laughs> That's that's just kind of the way that is. Um, the busier I get in life, the more I need to pray. I can remember one time I had. I, was, I had won this award or this trip to San Francisco, and I didn't. I, I mean, I didn't really want to go. I, I had more important things to do, um, which was basically go to the prison and help somebody. But anyway, I had to go on this trip, and I remember they. I, I flew out there in a nice airplane. They picked me up in the limo at the airport, and I'm sitting in the limo in traffic on the way to the Ritz Carlton and I know people love that stuff. I just it just never was my deal. I I, I enjoyed the company airplane but I that was about it. Um uh, having to avoid their their airports. But I can remember sitting in that car, sitting in traffic there and on the way to the hotel and all I could think about was those guys at the prison. And I was wondering what they were doing that night. I wasn't gonna be there. That's how Cox Nams. I mean that 
that ain't me. That, I mean, you think you'd be happy to be there. And I was, I mean, I was grateful to have had the experience, but I would have much rather been sitting in the prison helping the guys. Um, I walked out of a meeting one time. We were negotiating a huge deal with these guys that were ultra arrogant. They worked for Goldman Sachs, and I remember that uh, there was a guy I was sponsoring who was going through a hard time. And I told him that he needed to call me. If he called me, I would pick up. And then we were right in the middle of that meeting, and the, the phone started vibrating. I looked down, and it was him. And I said, I got to go. I, I just kind of got up and said, I'll talk to you guys later. I'll be back in a little while. And, man, this one guy got aggravated that I stopped that meeting. And I was like, that's too bad. I got to go. I stepped out and took the call. And, um, again, that's a, just another thing where, you know, I had to be true to myself and I had to, I had to try to honor that commitment. And that guy's well-being was more important than me making a paycheck to me. That's what Alcoholics Anonymous gave me. That's the that's the six traditions. Um, it says that the, the last sentence on that long form of the six tradition, it says that an AA group can bind itself to no one. To me, if I take that to myself, it tells me that I shouldn't bind myself to any, anyone. So what... That means that my dependence is on God. So my dependence today is not on my wife. I love my wife. I love our relationship. If I got home today, if we got home today and she was gone, I would not like that too good, but I'm going to be okay. I'm going to move on. I'm not, my well-being in my life is not dependent on her. If I lost my job tomorrow, I'm not going to like that too good. All right, right? I'm going to have a little heartache, but I'm not going to cry over it. I'm going to move on. My life, my well-being is not dependent on my job. My well-being is not dependent on my sponsor. My well-being is not dependent on my home group. All those things enhance it. But my dependency is on God. And... If it all was over right now and I just had to walk out of here, I'm going to be okay. That's the sixth tradition. Seven talks about, uh, well, it's all about fear because it's money. Um, this, uh, it talks about groups being self-supporting, not taking outside contributions. Talks about being prudent. Talks about not accumulating a bunch of wealth. It's really what it's talking about is that we need to have, the groups need to have basically a healthy relationship with money. Now, when I got here, I can assure you I didn't have a healthy relationship with money. I, well, I didn't have any money, but I, I took a lot of other people's money, and I expected a lot of other people to help me financially. I was dependent on my in-laws. I was dependent on my parents. I, uh, you know, and I had, I was felt entitled to stuff. I've said this before. I can assure you the, the millennials ain't got the damn corner on being entitled. 
we can say that they that they are, but man, I, that's that's nonsense. Every group that's ever come up had some kind of entitlement. Maybe my grandparents didn't, but but I did. Um, and I just that's just kind of what I brought here. And so what this tradition and people in Alcoholics Anonymous taught me was that I needed to start paying my own way. I needed to stop asking for for money from other people. I needed to try to figure out a way to support myself. I needed to, if I couldn't afford it, don't do it. And you know that I learned that fairly quickly in Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I learned that through a few ways. I learned that I learned that through the basket. Right? I was taught to put money in the basket. <clears throat> the action of putting the money in was way more important than the amount. So a lot of times I'd put coins in. I was still given. I learned it through the amends process. Right? So, you know, I'm a guy that, that kind of got through those steps quickly and started making amends at, at, at about eight weeks sober. And part of those amends were financial. Right? So I learned to go back to people that I owed money to and organizations that I owed money to and make arrangements without having money. I made arrangements. And so I slowly over time started paying people money back. Again, I would get the amount. The, the amount was insignificant. It was just the action of writing that $5 check. It's hard as hell to get people to understand this today for some reason. I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> but I'm not going to write them a $25 check. I'm going to wait till I get the whole 2500 and give it to them. Well, no, call them and just give them a little bit of money. It will go a long ways. And so I, that's, I mean, I learned that through good sponsorship and, and through amends that, that, you know, be responsible. Um, I remember the very first time, the probably worthless, silly story, but I remember the very first time I bought tires for, bought my own tires for my own vehicle. I thought I was, I, I mean, because I was a guy that, I always, boy, I relied on my dad to take care of all the car troubles, and I would just kind of f force it on him. And I had this old beat-up Buick that Shaggy, had, he finally had sold it to me for, I think it was $225, but it needed tires on it. And I remember the first time I went, and nobody was involved. It was just me. I went, picked the tires out, got them tires on. I was so excited about it. I gave this guy like a $20 tip for putting the tires on. He was like, what's that about? I said, man, just take it. I, but I, it was just a sense of accomplishment. It was the first time I'd ever really done anything on my own. Um, those are the types of things that it, they just kind of helped me. Um, and I can tell, I can honestly say that I think since I've been sober, I've never asked my parents for money. Never. I never asked my in-laws for any more money. Um, I could have used it sometimes, but I didn't because of this tradition, because of what people taught me that I needed to be, I needed to be self-supporting. Um, now I can tell you this because I didn't ask for money. I did sober. I ran up some credit now, credit cards. Um, and I was, I was sober for several years and I was would appear, and I had made I had made like a bunch of amends, but I was still hopelessly in debt, and um, 
because of this tradition, I'll never forget it. Me and my wife, second wife, had we we kind of put out a budget, looked at what we owed, we put a plan together, we prayed about it, we brought God into it, we stuck to that plan, and way quicker than we ever thought we were out of debt because of this because this tradition taught me to do that. And when we brought God into it, our relationship with it changed. And I started to have a healthy relationship with money. I don't, I'm not afraid of it anymore. I'm not afraid of not having any. I'm not afraid of having too much. I, it's just, I don't know how to explain that. But after I was sober about five, six years, it's just never been an issue. And uh, I've never chased it. I've never worried about losing it, although I've lost a ton. Um, it's just, I don't know, God removed that from me. If it was all, I probably shouldn't say this now because it might happen, but if it was all, if, if I was just completely broke like today for some reason, yeah, just keep on going. I mean, what? <laughs> Plenty of people here that's going to help me. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't let it dominate me today. It used to. It used to dominate me. Um, and it will destroy some, it can destroy relationships. That's for sure. It's also taught me to, to be charitable. I've learned that through the seventh tradition. To give back. And I don't just give to my group that if God's helped me, then I should try to help other people. And that Whatever I have today, again, is a gift, and I should share that with other people. And um, I've been, for a long time now, well, ever since I was sober, about five or six years, I started giving money, even when I didn't have any. I got laid off about six years ago and went from cash flow to no cash flow. And... I still started, I still, when I, whatever money I had, I still, I still gave money to people and to organizations that needed it. You would think when you cash flow, when you ain't making a paycheck, you're just going to stop giving. I was, I was taught not to do that, to give what you had. Again, it's the action of doing it. Stay involved in that process. And, um, you know, and I'm a guy that I'm, the principle of the more you give, the more you get back, that's been true in my, in my experience. It's never failed. Uh, eight talks about that A should, never, should remain non-professional, that basically we, we give of our services here to others for free. We don't charge for that. We're not professional 12-steppers. So if I think about that in my personal life, that, um, that I... I probably should maybe give of my services outside of Alcoholics Anonymous for free. Because AA has, I mean, right, just in this room, we got a lot of talented people. We got people with different skills. We got people with different types of educations. We got people with different types of experience. Very, very talented people in Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, not all of us, I'm, some of us aren't talented, but we, we all got different skills and abilities and talents. We should share those with with society, we should share those with the community. 
and what the eighth step is really eighth tradition is, has really taught me is that man from you know for the longest time I took from the community I took <coughs> from society maybe I ought to try to apply this and look at where I can give of my time where can I volunteer where can I be a good example of a recovered member of Alcoholics Anonymous that maybe I should you know, volunteer to people. I volunteer at places. I was uh, I was at w at work one day, and this guy that I worked for, he was involved in this organization called Junior Achievement. And he came to my office one day. He's like, "Hey, man, I want you to get involved in Junior Achievement." I'm thinking, oh, I'm exclusive helping alcoholics. I'm all my times in AA, and. Uh, I didn't say that, but that's kind of what I'm thinking. How am I going to find time to do that? And it was funny because I had always, I had always kind of thought about giving back to the school system. Because I was, like a lot of us, I was a terrible student. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was a rebel, and I just caused chaos and confusion for several school systems. And... So I always had thought about how am I going to get back. And what Junior Achievement does is they teach kindergarten through 12th grade. They, they go into schools and they teach classes uh, about capitalism and business and business principles and kind of how manufacturing works and how a pen gets made and sent, you know, and sold and stuff like that. And so uh, I saw it as an opportunity to kind of give back. And so I, I, I actually was on their became on their board for a little while but more importantly I got trained on how to go into the classes and teach the students and so that's something that basically came from this tradition and came from Alcoholics Anonymous that because right I was sober and being responsible a guy you know took it upon himself to ask me if I wanted to get involved and I was able to go in and teach third graders and sixth graders business principles and I don't know how people can be. If you're a school teacher, God bless you. Um, especially them sixth graders. My God, they were unruly. Rough bunch. I love the third graders, but but again, that's Alcoholics Anonymous. I couldn't have done that on my own. Um, so we should try to carry out what we what we learned other to other people and be willing to do that. Um, it does also talk about. Alcoholics Anonymous, we can't, AA can't rely solely on volunteers to conduct some of its business. So they hire people with skill sets to do certain jobs and they pay those people yeah, a good salary or the going rate for whatever job it is. So they, they, they'll hire a professional to do a certain job. Now, this is a little comical, but the other thing this tradition has taught me to do is that if I don't know how to do something, that I should hire somebody that knows how to do it, right? Yeah. I, some of y'all have heard that story about the hot tub, right? So I had a problem with my hot tub, and instead of calling somebody that could have fixed it, I'm like, I can fix this hot tub by myself. So what, you know, what went from about a $60 repair turned into a $400 repair after I messed with it, Right? So if I had called a specialist to start with and just paid him, then I probably would have got out for about 75 bucks. But instead, since I was dealing with it and burned up a couple circuit boards, 
it costs four hundred dollars, <laughs> right? Uh, so it's okay to seek outside help and to get people to help me. But see, that's part of my problem is I think I know everything. I think I'm smart enough to do everything by myself, and um, sometimes it works out, but most times it doesn't. Um, Nine talks about AA has the least possible organization. So if you think about it, we're not organized in the sense that there's a president and a board and that they tell us what to do like a company would be. But we are highly organized. We organize around what's important. So what's important, like today what was important was getting the church the, the church open, making the coffee, and providing a, a safe, clean, good spot for us to come to. That's important. If those folks would have gotten up this morning and thought that going to play golf was more important, which it can be more important sometimes, if... if, if <laughs> If playing golf and riding horses was more important, right, and nobody showed up, then some of us would have been just kind of stuck, right? So we are highly organized, but we organize around what's important. Um, so one of one of the things that this tradition has kind of taught me that is that it's don't sweat the small stuff, and that I should focus on what's important just kind of leave that other stuff alone and my experience has been time and time and time again if I'll do the few things every day that's important all that nonsense that dominates my head a lot of it just takes care of itself or that it just it disappears or I'm given enough time during the day to, to figure out what I need to do with that stuff but it's funny how we I naturally just kind of start focusing on all the little nitpicky stuff that don't amount to nothing that's what I got to do instead of the few important things pray, show up on time for work, do what they tell me to do, help somebody, right? Be there for my family, be there for the people in AA, pray, maybe pray some more. Um, and so that's kind of another thing that this tradition has taught me is that if I'll take care of what's important, the other stuff kind of, God will take care of that stuff. Sometimes other people will just show up and take care of it. Maybe God's using them for that. Um, and then it goes on the longer form, talks about leadership in Alcoholics Anonymous, talks about trusted servants, right? That that we are um, leaders in Alcoholics Anonymous are trusted servants. Now, I don't know about anybody else, but before I got here, you couldn't trust me to do anything. I mean, you could trust me to lie to you. You could trust me to make a commitment and not show up. You could trust me to steal from you. And just all in all, I mean, I, you just couldn't trust me for anything worthwhile. And the, the ninth tradition, now keep in mind that long form of the ninth tradition is different than the short form. And they stole some stuff out of the long form of the ninth tradition and put it in the short form of the second tradition. I, I don't know how that makes sense. Um, but this tells me, this has taught me how to, to honor commitments. It's taught me how to be consistent. Um, 
And, you know, I heard a guy say one time that one of the most spiritual things that an alcoholic can do is to be consistent and to show up. Because we never do. And we're inconsistent. And the ninth tradition, when it talks about being a trusted servant, if, I, if you trust me to do something, then I should do it. Right? And Alcoholics Anonymous, if we give you a job as something, we trust that you're going to do the job. This tells me that I should do that job. So even outside of my life, if, you know, if, if my work gives me something to do or my family asks me to do something, I should honor that commitment. Um, it's funny now. I mean, my, my family, would they never trusted me for anything. I can guarantee you today, and they would always question things and all that. They don't do that today. If, they, if, if we got something going on and it starts at 3 o'clock, and I told them I was going to be there. I'm going to be there. They don't call and follow up. Hey, are you sure you're coming? They used to do all that. They don't have to anymore. Because over a period of time, I've proven to be trustworthy. There's always things that come up. But in general, I've proven to be, to be trustworthy. That's the ninth tradition. Um, and it talks about uh, not having any authority over anybody. It says they derive no real authority from their titles. They do not govern. Universal respect is the key to their usefulness. It kind of ties into to the, the fourth tradition a little bit, and, and one and two. But it, it talks about leaders being servants and leaders sitting an example. And the question I always ask myself, well, what, kind of, what kind of example am I setting? In my life, kind of goes back to those questions that we asked at the beginning of the, of the session. You know, am I really trying to be loving and kind toward all? Am I really trying to to be of service to others? Am I really trying to be to be open and honest with people? Um, or do I try to have you know authority over people or govern people or indirectly manipulate them? I like doing that, right? I'll be kind to you, right, and act like I'm going along, but I really want a, a, a certain you know, result, or I want you to do a certain thing. Um, this kind of teaches me to not do that. That I just got to set an example by the way that I, I, I live. I got to set an example by what I do. Right. Some of us constantly, you know, complain because only a handful of people show up at the home group to sit up. Right, and. Instead of getting sucked into that, we need to look at, well, I'm here sitting up. That's what's important. I'm here sitting up. It doesn't matter what anybody else does. What's important is what I'm doing. Um, so number 10, this one's tough nowadays. Um, it talks about not having that AA doesn't have any opinion on outside of controversial issues. It's one of the greatest things that Alcoholics Anonymous ever made a decision to do was that Alcoholics Anonymous made a decision that, hey, we have no, absolutely no opinion on anything outside of what we're doing. So we have no opinion on religion. We have no opinion on politics. We have no opinion on reform. We have no opinion on anything other than how can we better serve the alcoholic. 
So, Alcoholics Anonymous opposes nothing. Right? So they get asked all the time, what's your opinion on this? What's your thoughts on this? And our response is always, we have no opinion. Right? So for the most part, that's kept us out of controversy in the public. There's been a few, uh, a few exceptions to that a little bit, but we won't go into that. But in general, we've, we've got no opinion at all. Um, what, that has, what that has done is, if people will look at the facts of that, it, opens, it leaves the door open for anybody to come. And they don't have to worry about this type of stuff. If you watch nighttime TV you, and see how they portray it sometimes, you wouldn't understand, you wouldn't believe all that because it's, it's not a good representation of what AA is. But, um, so personally what this tells me is that It doesn't mean that I don't have opinions on stuff. I mean, obviously I do. And I got ideas on things. But I shouldn't express those to the point to where it cuts me off from being of service to people. I shouldn't express that to the point to where it causes me to break the law. I shouldn't carry that to the point to where it causes me to, to be verbally or mentally or emotionally abusive to somebody. Um that it tells me that I don't have, the truth doesn't need to be defended, that I don't need to argue with you about an issue, that the, the truth is the truth. The problem is I'll argue with you even after you've agreed with me. And I mean, it's like, that, that, this tells me to avoid, right, to avoid all that. And that, that I can't have disagreements with people and still be friends with them. That I can still, you know, not, completely understand your views on stuff and still be friends with you and still unify enough to help others. <coughs> that if I let our differences and our difference of opinions um, get to the point to where we can't communicate or can't help one another, that's just, it's, it, it's contrary to spiritual principles. It's contrary to how God wants us to live. Um, that, that I can, you know, that if we disagree, we can still be civil. And this this has been a be careful with all this. This can this has been a big issue the last couple of years with people bringing their views into, especially on politics, into the fellowship. And you know, I I know uh, what the hell I know I know people that. Had like a sponsor sponsee relationship. I got several examples of where people had long term relationships with each other. They never knew their political view. I'm talking 10, 15, 20 year relationships. And the, they never knew their political views because it never came up and they're helping each other. And then an election happens and somebody saw what somebody else believed and they fired them. Because of what he, because of their view, and who they voted for, it's very strange that that's contrary to what any of our teachings teach. Uh, I've 
several folks that I help that are so-called activists, um, you know, argue that, well, this is what I believe and this is what I'm going to do, and, you know, it's, it's, it's fine to the point to where they're breaking the law or they're hurting people. And here's the, here's the deal with that, is that if you're practicing AA's steps and traditions, if you're practicing our principles, you can't reconcile that with steps 10, 11, and 12. So you just can't. And my experience is if you violate those principles long enough, you're eventually going to drink. At worst, you're not going to be helpful to anybody. So it's fine to be pa passionate and to have ideas and to have views, but when it goes to the point to where it shuts me off from practicing principles and shuts me off from being helpful to other people, and it gets me to the point where I'm excluding other people purposely, and to the point, especially where I'm breaking the law, how, regardless of how silly that law is, that doesn't line up with what we're doing. So have passion and, 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 and be vocal, but be civil. And uh, I try to avoid the serious controversy. I mean, I'll, I'll, in the right venue, I'll voice some of my ideas and concerns, not in AA. There's no place for it in here. But outside, and then I'll move on. I'm not going to fight and argue over it. I don't have to. It doesn't need to be defended. So this, is, this has taught me to try to avoid that serious controversy, and I don't have to be right. It's not about being right and, and being wrong. And that if I'm doing something that I can't reconcile, with, with especially with steps 10, 11, and 12, then I probably, probably shouldn't be doing it. That what's more important for me is trying to help somebody, trying to be a service. And if I'm... If I'm too vocal about stuff, then people aren't going to come and ask me for help. And me helping somebody <coughs> and trying to be of service to God is more important than that other stuff. Eleven talks about uh, personal anonymity at the public level that our public relations policy is based on uh, attraction rather than promotion. It says there's never a need to praise ourselves. This is a, this is a good one. Because we certainly like praising ourselves. And we in Alcoholics Anonymous we're really starting we're really starting to dig it. Um, This this particular tradition personally tells me that um, I mean I could ask myself the question right am I am I an attraction by the way that I live meaning am I am I applying those tr those principles in my life right so what kind of example am I setting and uh, now I have now I know sometimes when you hear people talk it's like well there you know he thinks he's perfect. I've had this experience. This has probably got nothing to do with this tradition, but it hit me. I'm going to say it. I'm getting like Paige. The uh, inside joke for some of you. The, I have had this experience. Get up and early. Beautiful prayer and meditation session. Read some literature. Come out of the house floating. Right, man, today's gonna be a good day. I'm God's right here with me. 
right? Get out on Highway 1010 and somebody gets up on your butt and you immediately just flip them off or cram on the brakes. Or, I mean, yeah, you ever done that? Yeah. I wonder what happened. I mean, I mean, I mean, it was good three minutes ago. You know, it's like, it's, it's interesting how that happens. That's not a very good, good attraction. Um, I don't know what that's about. The good thing about that is we're given a step to clean that up, right? If we're, if we're involved in the process, we, we're given steps to clean that up and thank God for the word practice. Because that's what it says in the 12th step is that we practice, right? We don't give up. We just keep trying, right? We get, try to get better, a little better at a time. Um, but this is, you know, the 11th tradition is, to me is really about um, 11 and 12 are about being humble and practicing humility and, and just trying to be a good guy, trying to be a good citizen, trying to be a, just a, a good family member and, and not acting out on selfishness and pride and, trying to be kind and loving and um, I'll tell you I, I um, I'm not big on high school reunions but and I hate telling the story but it, it gets at this tradition so I went to high school reunion one time and most of those people I hadn't seen since high school and all of them knew who and what I was when we were in high school. But I hadn't seen, I had maybe seen two of them. And they started giving out these awards. Right, they were silly enough, right? Who traveled the farthest? Uh, who traveled the shortest? Uh, I don't know, they might have given one who, got, who had been married the most. Uh, I don't, <laughs> but they gave this award out. And I swear, I never even, I mean, I wasn't even paying attention, really, when they were doing this, but they gave us a board out who had changed the most. Now, I don't know who the committee was or who, who came up with the idea, but they basically called my name up. And I'm telling you, I hadn't, I hadn't seen any of them. And they gave me this award for the person that had changed the most since high school. That's Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, and this was before Facebook was big. So I mean, I, I mean now you can keep up with people with that you haven't that you never would have seen before in your life. But anyway, that so those folks knew that a change had come about. Word had traveled, or they had seen something, or had talked to a family member who knew a friend, right? That I had changed. Now I wouldn't disagree with the with the with the award that I probably had changed the most since most of those folks. Um, because none of them thought I was going to ever amount to anything. I didn't think I was either. Um, but that just gets you, that kind of gets to the point to where it talks about we let our friends recommend us, that we don't have to go out and promote ourselves, right? We don't have to go out and tell everybody how great we are, that we let our actions speak for us. So we can do that in our personal life. We can do that at work, Right? We don't have to constantly tell everybody all the stuff we've done. We don't have to show them how great, tell them how great we are. We show them by showing up and doing the actions and, and, and doing what we're supposed to do. Maybe doing a little more than what we're supposed to do. And, you know, I worked in a, in a company for a long time. And some people get aggravated when I say this. I never asked for a promotion. I never asked for a raise. 
what I did was I volunteered to do some stuff without being asked. I worked late and never, never had to point, point it out, right? I did things um, above and beyond, I guess, what I was supposed to do just because I wanted to, because I had learned that in Alcoholics Anonymous. And when, that's, when it was time for a promotion, it just came. When it was time for a raise, it came. I had to be patient, though, and let that happen. There are many, many years I sat there, man, this ain't working out. These folks just don't understand who I am. By the time I'd say that, something good would happen. I didn't have to promote myself. My actions spoke for me. That's what this is talking about. Um, I've been approached many, many times in public by folks that knew me when I was drinking that, haven't, that don't recognize me. I've had several folks that are my parents' age that had kids that were messing around with me that they've seen me, man, Jerry, we sure are glad you've changed. <laughs> that's, that's, the, uh, that's the level of tradition. Um, Twelve talks about, it talks about anonymity and place of principles before personalities. Um, And that we shouldn't let our great blessings spoil us. So, again, you know, this is talk. Sometimes anonymity and humility can be difficult to talk about. Um, I think anonymity is probably one of the least understood concepts in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's got nothing to do with staying anonymous in the fellowship. It's got nothing to do with don't tell Daniel I was here and I won't tell him he was here or whatever that is. Um, anonymity is at the public level. And if you read it, it talks specifically about pictures and full names at the public level. That's what it's about. It's not about keeping secret and, um, I mean, just, that's just not what it is. Um, and the 12th tradition is more about our walk and, and, and being humble and trying to, to not be braggadocious and to not go out, go out in society and say, look at me, look at me. Um, but we do want people to know about our principles. We do want people to know we're members of Alcoholics Anonymous. We, we, we do want our doctors and our lawyers and our, and our family and the community to know that we're members of AA. Because when they see the change in us, that's how they know that if this guy's got a problem, call Steve. Right? If we stay hidden, then they don't, they don't know that. And um, there shouldn't be any fear with me of people knowing that. Um, so I'll tell you a quick story. So 12 basically tells me that, that I should realize that the gifts I've been given are a result of the program and God. And then what I give back is my gift back to God and to the people here. And that, that I need to truly align my my walk and my will with God's will, not just talk about it. There's been many times throughout my spiral where I just talked about it. And I, I, you know, I just kind of did my own thing because that's what I wanted to do. Um, mostly all that's because of fear. I was at, um, it's not a goofy story, but it gets at the tradition. I don't like telling it. Uh, I was at, I was at a Thanksgiving gathering at my older brother's house in Atlanta. 
Uh, it's been several years ago. It's been all, actually a long time ago. And all the family was there. My younger brother at that time was kind of a celebrity. He still is a celebrity, but um, I, I, celebrity maybe is not the right word. He was very popular and sought out in his field. And he, had, he was all over the TV. He was on some of the morning shows. He had just written a book. And family was excited about him, right? So we're at Thanksgiving. He's not there. He's in Afghanistan. And my mom launches into this thing about how great John is. And, and uh, he's done this and he's done that. And this is kind of like the potato chip story with, with my first wife, right? <laughs> What I heard was, Jerry sucks, Jerry's, Jerry's never amounted to anything, everything he's done has been just a sham, <laughs> right? I mean, that's kind of that old filter. Um, she was proud of her son, and everything she said was factual. Well, in my mind, I'm thinking, my God, don't she, I mean... Don't she know that you know, that I've I've been successful too, and that that uh, yeah, I was the youngest general manager at this company, and they they wrote a little article about me in the newspaper, and <laughs> uh, just when they say selfishness and self-centeredness is our, is the root of our trouble, there is no doubt about that. But I started getting mad, and you know, got got resentful. And I always knew she loved him more than she loved me in this book, right? Um, and um, I, couldn't sh I couldn't shake it. It stuck with me that night. The next day, I left and drove back to uh, North Carolina, went to my home group that night, and it just happened to be tradition night. It was, and it was on the 12th tradition. And I'll never forget this. Tony S. was chairing, and he read the long form of the 12th tradition. And he talked about, you know, it may have been the 11th tradition. It was one of the traditions, but it, it talked about, you know, not praising ourselves, and there's no need to praise ourselves, and that we should be humble. And it was like all that stuff just kind of disappeared, and I, you know, kind of came came out of a came out of a blackout it's like man what in the, what in the world and and I realized that man my mind is just out to get me and that I've just got so much nonsense in my head and so many old ideas about stuff and that um, it's not it's not important what I think other people are thinking or what they're saying what's important is how am I living and how's my relationship with God and that's really what the 12 traditions about is Am I thankful to God for the gifts I've been given? Am I thankful for the program, for the life that I've been given? Am I thankful to God and to the program for my sobriety? Do I realize how important and how incredible that is? And am I willing to give that back to other people? Or do I just want to keep it for myself? This is about believing and realizing that there's nothing wrong with the world. What's wrong with is my perception and what I do. That all I can change is myself. And that if I... If I try to bring God into everything and try to, to give the same gift to somebody that was given to me, then I'm in good shape. So uh, 
I appreciate y'all listening to me, and uh, God bless you.